You are listening to the conclusion of the first season for the Kirkwood Chronicles, inspired by the ridiculousness of my childhood imagination. Season 1 finale, episode 13, The Beginning. Stoneflex. Hot water bubbled up and massaged Luke's body. Being in the jacuzzi was supposed to be relaxing, but he sat stiff and awkward. He had told Sir Aaron Roseprick what he wanted beforehand. I want to kick back in that jacuzzi, turn on some entertainment, and eat some food. But the Queen had overheard, taken control from Sir Aaron, and provided as she deemed appropriate. Rather than swim trunks, she had given him a speedo. It felt inadequate at covering everything down there, and felt constrictive of what it did cover. Rather than having his cravings satisfied by a big cheeseburger, some fries, and a cold beer, he had been given a morsel of lobster and a bottle of champagne. But none of that just mentioned was the biggest offense. He had just wanted the remote to the television but instead the queen had called in two Barbican women who wasted no time in disrobing down to skimpy bikinis and trespassing into his personal space. No, don't touch me there, he growled. That's the no-no square. The women giggled. One of them pressed herself even closer, thrust her chest into his face, and said, You've said that about everywhere we've touched you. You want us to go lower? No. He shrugged her off while he drew in the air with his fingers a square around himself. This is my no-no square. All of me. Now back off. The women continued to giggle obnoxiously. Oh, playing hard to get. He snapped. That's it. Stood up, grabbed both of them, one in each arm, and said, You're overcrowding the jacuzzi. Before throwing them both out of the jacuzzi and into the nearby pool. There was a loud splash. The two of them came up from the water, coughing and brushing their wet hair from their eyes. One cried, "'Geez, lighten up! We meant nothing by it!' The other one shook her head. "'Whatever! It's not like we truly care about you!' "'Exactly,' Luke said. "'I just wanted to watch tonight's fight, and instead I've been violated by the two of you!' He plopped back down into the jacuzzi, threw his head back, and closed his eyes. After the disaster of the royal fundraiser, Luke had come with the Queen and Sir Aaron to the majestic castle in Gurlia. The ancient royal estate was smaller than the royal palace, but nonetheless lavish. He had been shown to his own quarters in the castle, where he had his own balcony complete with pool and jacuzzi. He felt out of place here. A moment later, and a voice spoke down to him. That was rude. He opened his eyes glared up at Sir Aaron Roseprick, and replied, I don't mean to come across as ungrateful, but those two ladies were too much. Sir Aaron rolled his eyes. Regardless, you are the champion of centralism now, and poised to become the first ever Earthkin member of the Shining Knights. You seriously need to work on your manners. Now, get out and dry off. 
The time of your knighting is near. An hour later, and Luke approached the queen as she arose from her pink granite throne. She wore an abundance of jewelry, a sparkling crown, and a sheer dress that revealed her elegant figure beneath. A swarm of camera drones hovered on either side of her. In addition, he could feel the eyes of the large Barbican audience behind him. Kneel, she said, and extended a hand to him. He obeyed and kissed her hand. The queen then drew a bejeweled power sword. Champion of centralism, castrator of the arachnopleb, this is a historic day. You, an earthkin, kneel before your fabulously supreme queen, not just in display of your obligatory fidelity, but to receive the promise of the most honorable and worthy reward of knighthood. Since this is an unprecedented moment, and you are an earthkin, I will not request from you the traditional oaths of knighthood, as is customarily observed by the unrivaled heritage of my Barbican race. Rather, I bind you into service to the royal crown as the first earthkin member of the Shining Knights by a new vow. Do you, Luke Stoneflex, swear to vanquish evildoers, to bring justice upon the unjust, to snag liars in their own snares, to become an executor of the vile, to bring me the heads of the wicked, until either from the planet evil is purged, or death take you. I swear, he said. Then I bestow upon you the power of my own wrath, and I charge you, by the inflamed passion of mine own bosom, to slay the enemies of the Central Union, beginning with Prince Lordly Dashingson, and all others soon to be revealed to have conspired with him in the attack on the royal fundraiser, and, by so doing, brought disaster upon the Central Union. She then anointed his shoulders with the blade of the sword, and after doing so, activated the empowered blade. Energy crackled and illuminated the weapon's edge, casting a fierce orange glow onto the queen's beautiful face. Arise, Sir Luke Stoneflex. Receive your reward, O Shining Knight, by serving me, your fabulously supreme queen. Julia Weatherton Julia Weatherton clenched her teeth and mentally prepared herself as she stared at the steel door in front of her. Once she entered that door, she would become a part of two things that greatly distressed her, but from which she could not turn away. She would learn what punishment had befallen John Anvil, the man whom she loved, and she would discover what fate awaited her in the CSS, which had reinstated her as a special agent within its agency. There's no going back now, she muttered to herself before opening the door to the command room. A bustle of movement greeted her. Personnel wearing the white uniforms of intelligence officers rushed about in haste, exchanging papers with each other and congregating in groups around giant screens that displayed a feed of information and videos that were indiscernible to Julia. She walked to the far end of the room, where there was a rectangular table and a middle-aged man seated at its end. He had a stern brow, cropped hair, and with perfect posture wore the crisp red of a commander's uniform. He was the head of CSS intelligence. Julia addressed him with a crisp salute. Commander Flood, you called for me. He appraised her with a faint smile. At ease, Agent Weatherton. Congratulations are in order. Let me be among the first to welcome you back into the CSS. 
It is my understanding that Agent Anvil shared with you the details of our recent actions against the Royal Crown. The mention of John Anvil and the CSS coup against the Royal Crown caused a muscle to flex in her jaw. She answered, Yes, sir. He continued, I am pleased to know that your recent involvement with the Royal Crown did not deter you from returning to work for us. But you should know that both you and Agent Anvil have caused the CSS a great deal of trouble. She kept her head held high. I am prepared to do what must be done to right any wrongs that I have committed. Commander Flood spoke coolly. We understand that you acted against us unwittingly. Agent Anvil, on the other hand, grieved us greatly in revealing the location of the Void Gown to you as a ploy to protect you from the Arachnopleb assault on the Royal Palace. He has been sternly reproved for his mistake. Now all that remains is simple correction for you. Sir, Julia interjected. She couldn't help it, and held her breath after asking, What became of Agent Anvil? He said, Although the court concluded capital punishment to be entirely appropriate for his case, his motivation of protecting you was taken into consideration. The court reasoned that Agent Anvil still associated you as his partner in arms, and thus deviated from orders to protect the life of a fellow soldier. Mercy was shown in court. Agent Anvil has been demoted and relocated to serve under more direct supervision. She released a sigh of relief. However, the commander stated sternly, you should not concern yourself with Agent Anvil. Your focus should be on serving the agency. Will you lay aside any lingering loyalty you may feel towards the royal crown and assist the CSS in securing power over the Union for the preservation of centralism? Yes, sir. Good. Are you ready to correct the disruptions you have unwittingly caused the agency in your recent service to the royal crown? Yes, sir. Then, let's get started. He powered on a screen behind him and swerved in his chair so that he could view both her and what was displayed. Film from the Barbican annual royal fundraiser played, from a moment before the Arachnopleb attack on the royal palace. Barbican aristocrats, in their gaudy and risque lingerie outfits, strolled about and mingled together in a large crowd. There was the murmur of conversations all around. The film was not from the mainstream news coverage recorded by the camera drones that had hovered over the event. Rather, the footage was from the perspective of someone's personal body cam. The commander explained, This is a recording of the royal fundraiser from the body cam livestream of Vieira Sable, mere minutes before the Arachnopleb attack on the royal palace. You can see that Prince Dashingson is still beside her at this moment. Now look there in the crowd. A group of four Barbican aristocrats approach. The film blurred and sped up for a few seconds as he fast-forwarded. Vieira Sable and the prince have a short exchange with the four aristocrats, the usual double-talk that occurs during the fundraiser. But something odd happens right here. The commander paused the film at the exact moment the screen suddenly became white. He explained, Vieira Sable turns away from addressing each of the four Barbican, then her livestream experiences an unexpected whiteout and her audio is distorted. It lasts just under two seconds. Of all of those present in this particular conversation, her livestream was the only one that experienced this abnormality. At first, we thought it was a simple connection issue, as her body cam footage was being streamed directly to Vildrica. But then, we discovered more.
the commander tinkered with the settings of the recording and manipulated various layers to the image. The brightness of the screen lessened so that the pale, whitewashed silhouettes of the Barbican aristocrats emerged. The commander darkened the image even more until there were only black silhouettes amongst a wash of deep gray. But then Julia noticed the change in the image and gasped. Where once had stood four silhouettes, now emerged the shadow of a fifth. She blurted out, There's a fifth figure there. Affirmative, but that is not all, the commander said, readjusted the footage to its normal settings and skipped forward further into the recording. He stopped with a shot of Prince Dashingson, whose voice came through the speakers on the screen. To which of the men do you refer? Vieira Sable's voice followed. The fifth one on the far right. He did not strike me as Barbican. Fifth, the prince said. There was an edge to his voice. There were four, Vieira. Four of my peers, all Barbican. There was no fifth man. Vieira's voice replied. Yes, there was. He was tall, dark-haired, with a bushy beard, and had hazel eyes. The commander stopped the recording and turned back to Julia. The CSS is baffled by this anomaly. We suspect someone infiltrated the royal fundraiser using perhaps an advanced form of chameleon camo sequencing technology unknown to us. And only Vieira Sable caught a glimpse of him. Who and why and how, we do not know. It is a small mystery that we've uncovered, but it does not warrant us diverting resources away from our current objective of usurping the royal crown in order to pursue it. So we want you to look into it for us. Julia gave a single nod. Very well. Where should I start? During the fundraiser, Vieira Sable was live-streaming directly to Vildrica with the help of a technician operating outside the event. We need you to find that technician and bring her in for questioning. Her name is Elisa Verd. Vera Sable Blackness But to say there was blackness would imply Vera was aware of it, when in fact she was not. There is a depth to sleep that goes deeper than awareness, but she sank yet deeper than that, for she was in the deepest and darkest of sleep, death itself. Then she became aware of suspension, and the faintest thread of her awakened consciousness shivered in the blackness around her. There was a voice, not her own, but vaguely familiar, as if she had heard it before. In your end is the beginning. A tiny dot of light shone suddenly in front of her. She felt herself being pulled towards it. Once more came the voice in a single word. Arise. The light exploded as she was sucked towards it, and all at once life returned to her. Air rushed into her lungs. Her heart quickened in her chest. Cold sweat broke out across her skin, followed by an outbreak of goosebumps. Her whole body quivered involuntarily. Her stomach tightened. She instinctively rolled onto her side and retched at the sudden jolt of bodily sensations returning to her simultaneously. She coughed and gagged and retched, although nothing came up from her stomach, until everything began to feel more balanced and normal. Then she realized she was lying on the cold floor of a completely white and barren room. There was a thick metal door on the other side, which was also white. She sat up only to hear the jingle of metal and feel the sudden restraint of chains cuffed around her neck, 
wrists, and ankles. Her chains were anchored to the smooth wall at her back. She was wearing a white jumpsuit with a barcode printed on its chest. She was already confused, and her mind felt like she had the worst hangover of her life. So the sudden surge of fear did not help her make sense of her current predicament. Instinctively, she jerked against her chains and tried in vain to wiggle herself free from the cuffs. Then she cried out, Help! Help! Her voice reverberated in the barren room, followed by silence. She was about to cry out again when a loud buzz from the door caused her to jump. The door opened just enough to allow a legiokin man wearing a white lab coat to slip quietly into the room. He looked like the quintessential stereotype of the legiokin race. He was short, standing maybe five feet tall, bald, and clean-shaven, presuming he had facial hair to shave. Even his eyebrows were shaven. Large, round, buggy black eyes glistened beneath the fluorescent lighting of the room and studied her from a stoic face. Wrinkles had etched a perpetual expression of scrutiny onto the Lijukin's face, and so testified clearly of the man's life being spent in a constant state of contemplation. Upon entering the room, the Lijukin pulled out a data pad and began typing with one hand on its screen. He then said, As we begin, I have some questions for you. Who are you? Viera eyed the man and argued, I am not going to answer any of your questions until I have a lawyer present. Please tell me where I am and what's going on. The Legiokin observed her for a moment, then replied matter-of-factly, To be clear, you will not be given a lawyer, and where you are is irrelevant to the importance of my study. As for what is going on, I too wonder the same thing but our mutually shared bewilderment will only be alleviated by you cooperating with me and answering my questions. So, I ask again, who are you? She took a deep breath and resolved to stay calm. My name is Vera Sable. He blinked, unenthused. Yes, I know that is the name by which you were, pardon me, are known, but... Who are you truly? His question worsened her confusion. I don't know what you're asking. I'm 21 years old. I work for L'Amour Lingerie. I am from Vildrica. I've lived in the Central Union for over two years. Hmm, interesting. The Legiokin typed quickly on his data pad and said aloud, Subject appears adamant in adhering to her popular reputation within society as a possible concealment attempt. Then he asked her, What exactly are you? She rubbed her forehead. I'm Earthkin? I mean, I have some Barbican in me from my grandfather. What do you mean? He shook his head and swiped the screen of his data pad. She noticed the small earpiece he wore as he muttered, Subject is uncooperative with direct line of questions. What appears to be self-denial could be legitimate ignorance of self. I shall defer to a more roundabout approach. He then addressed her. What is the last thing that you can recall? She tried to call upon her more recent memory, but a sudden dark fog obscured her mind. She tried to push through it, but the harder she mentally pushed, the darker the fog grew, until, painfully, 
a vivid moment appeared and played in her mind. Sir Aaron Rosebrook had looked down at her with a grief-struck face and had tears running down from his eyes. He had cradled her in his arms and had stroked her hair as he said, Shh, Miss Sable, shh. I've got you. You were so brave, so dazzling. Just close your eyes. It'll be over soon. She hadn't been able to breathe. Tears had whelmed up in her eyes. A shiver ran down her spine as the moment ended in her mind with blackness. She remained quiet and stared at the legiokin from a deepened place of fear. An expression besides that of concentration flickered across the legiokin's face. A small smile. I seemed to have struck a nerve with that question, he said. Before we proceed any further, let me introduce myself. I am Dr. Frederick Farmakea, leading expert on cellular regeneration and rehabilitation processes of damaged complex organisms. I am the molecular programmer of the artificial nanobiostimulators infused within genetic replication swill. In Earthkin terms, I am the inventor of the accelerated healing tank. But even for someone as incomparably brilliant as me, the absolute and irrefutable laws of known reality are now contradicted by what I currently observe. That you are not dead. So concludes the first season of the Kirkwood Chronicles, written and read by me, Nathaniel Thompson. Musical introduction by Luke Thompson. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, be sure to like and subscribe. Also, for concept art and news about this podcast, be sure to follow this work on Instagram at the Kirkwood Chronicles. By taking these simple steps, you will help in the writing and production of Season 2. Thank you for listening, and may God bless your day.